Hello, everybody! Welcome back to North Idaho Now. This is episode 194, coming at you in 2023. First episode of 2023, Chance Watson bringing you the news today. This episode is brought to you by Hecla Mining Company. Hecla Mining Company is a leading low-cost silver producer with operating silver mines in Alaska, Idaho, and Mexico, and is a growing gold producer with operating mines in Quebec, Canada, and Nevada. They are the largest primary silver producer in the U.S., responsible for one-third of the silver produced in our nation. Their philosophy is to operate mines safely by promoting a deeply rooted value-based culture, leveraging mining skills developed over the company's long history, and by innovating new practices. To learn more about Hecla Mining Company or the career opportunities, please visit HeclaMining.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Glad you guys carried over with us from 2022 to 2023. Hoping to start out the year strong with a great episode for you today. Uh, actually, uh, we have the topic that we're just going to talk about completely today. Uh, we're going to speculate wildly and overanalyze uh, the possible potential person replacing Daniel Craig as James Bond. It came out today. Aaron Taylor Johnson, uh, English actor, uh, has just met with the producer for uh, James Bond right now. And uh, boy, I, we're this is we're just gonna forego the news. We're not gonna talk about any news today. Nothing, nothing. North Idaho. We're just gonna sit here and overanalyze about what this means for James Bond as a character. Uh, what this means uh, for Aaron Taylor Johnson. We're gonna overanalyze all of his works. And uh, yeah, that's that's just gonna be it today. We're just gonna. It's just gonna be a completely James Bond folk. I'm just kidding. Just kidding, everybody. I, I there are some people like, are you, is he serious? Is he, is he serious? You can't be talking about James Bond all episode. There's no way. There's no way. They've done some wacky stuff on this show, but there's absolutely no way that he could talk about the possible actor for James Bond. And, uh, I, okay, I'm not going to prove it. Okay, I'm not. It's not just. I'm not going to sit here and make a point and pretend and prove to you that I could talk about James Bond for an hour because I could, but I'm not going to. Mostly because uh, my boss would probably not be happy with that. Uh, probably not be okay with me talking about James. Now, now, would he be okay with me starting up a separate James Bond themed podcast? Possibly, very possible. That 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 is something in the cards. Perhaps uh, might might merit some further conversation later on. But not for this show. Not for this show. This show uh, only a little James Bond uh, chatter, which I'll keep it to a minimum here. Uh, for those who are not familiar with Aaron Taylor Johnson, uh, he was most recently in a movie called Bullet Train. Uh, I am not familiar with this film, uh, because it, it mostly doesn't, it, he's not the main character in it. He is one of the main characters in it. I have not seen this movie. It has decent ratings and it's, it's got a decent cast. I'm looking at this Brad Pitt, Joey King, uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson is, uh, he plays a man named Tangerine. Nothing wrong with that at all, right? Okay, it's got to be good. Sandra Bullock, of course. Uh, Bad Bunny. I'm not necessarily sure who that is, but you know what? Looks like a decent movie. Maybe, maybe I'm going to put it on my watch list. I haven't been. I've been very bad at getting my watch list recently, so maybe I'm going to throw this on there and watch Bullet Train so I can see Aaron Taylor Johnson in action and see if he's got what it takes to be Bond. I have seen him in Kick Ass. Uh, that is the movie. Uh, I'm not saying that he's a Kick Ass actor. Uh, <laughs> That is that is the movie. He was in Kick-Ass 1 and 2. Um, that was kind of his main uh, foray into like a starring role or something. It seems like as I look at his filmography, everything else is kind of... He was in Avengers Age of Ultron, um, but not, you know, not any of the real main characters. Um, yeah, everything else is kind of... Uh, the King's Man. 
The King's Man. Okay, that was a good movie. That's good. Yeah, so it it seems oh he's in Shanghai Nights. Well, that's it's going way back. It's going way back. So okay, he's 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 had some roles. He's definitely had some had some stuff. Uh, and you know what? When any time that we get around to this conversation, every time you know Pierce Brosnan's retiring, Daniel Craig's retiring, there's always this conversation who's going to take him. And it always seems like it comes out of left field. They never take the person that we like expect it to be. Like it's not going to be Tom Hardy, you know. It's not. It's not going to be Idris Elba. You know, these are the, the, the uh, Henry Cavill, uh, the names that you know we would think of right off the top of our head. Bang, bang, bang. Um, this one was kind of out of left field. I, I I've read a lot of uh, I've read a lot of online articles that have speculated wildly on who was going to be the next Bond, and I, I I gotta say I don't know if his name has ever come up on any of the lists that I've seen. Not saying that that makes him a bad choice. Uh, I don't think many, I don't think Daniel Craig was on many people's radar. It's, I mean, I was definitely younger and wasn't invested in who the next Bond was as much. But uh, I, I think when Pierce Brosnan retired and Daniel Craig's name came up, I uh, I, I didn't know who Daniel Craig was. And, and Daniel Craig is arguably one of the best. I think Daniel Craig is the best, like, Bond if Bond was an actual secret agent. I don't necessarily know if I like him as, like, the quintessential James Bond. Like, with all the the witty comebacks and dialogue and and being James Bond, I don't know if he's that, but but if James Bond was an actual like secret agent, I think Daniel Craig hits hits closest to the mark on that. Um, and I don't I don't I think his weakest movie was Quantum of Solace, and even that was fine. It was fun. So <laughs> anyway, um, I, I'm kind of excited. I want to dive into this guy's filmography a little bit. Watch Watch Kick Ass again, maybe, and uh, and see Bullet Train because that's obviously his most recent work that probably that probably got him in the room uh, with the producer. Uh, it's just gonna be it's it's gonna be interesting. Um, I, I think that the the next movie will be uh, the 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 producer um, Broccoli Broccoli. Her literally name is literally. Literally broccoli. That's interesting. Um, series producer Barbara Broccoli. Yeah, I, I'm, I apologize if I'm messing up her name, um, but definitely says that. And uh, it says that the uh, the bo- next Bond movie will be a reinvention of the character. Um, boy, that could be kind of confusing. I think most James Bond movies reinvent him almost almost every time when they, especially when they jump char- uh, actors. Um, at this point, it's kind of it's kind of like one of those things that you just you just kind of pretend you you take every Bond movie as is or within the you know within the scheme of the actor because it's kind of hard to piece together a Bond timeline. Um, I, we, Josh and I talked about this a long time ago on the podcast. It's it's very difficult to try to piece together like what is okay. First Bond, first Bond made was was Doctor No, but you know canonically is is that his first adventure? Uh, because you know now that. Daniel Craig came out and, you know, the female M, well, ooh, spoilers if you haven't seen those. But anyway, um, they they have a character shift that kind of implies that Pierce Brosnan's Bond was before Daniel Craig's Bond. So uh, it, it, can get, it can get messy. I feel like that's going to get messy. So I, I feel, I hope a reinvention is like either they're starting from scratch or it's something that kind of ties everything together or something like that. Because it, it, at the moment, it's it's really hard to in my, in my personal opinion, I'm sure that there's thousands of James Bond, you know, timelines online that that could probably help me fill in the blanks a little bit um, as much as they can. But even then, it's it's just rough. So um, I hope the reinvention goes well. I'm I'm definitely not against that. Um, and especially with this actor, I, you know, after just a little bit of I, I learned about it this literally this morning. Uh, very excited. Uh, he looks like he could fit the role pretty well. 
And uh, yeah, I'm I'm excited to learn more about it, and I'm excited to uh, see James Bond back on the screen. It sounds like um, we might see something in like 2025, maybe. So you're, we're we're a few years out, but this this tends to happen when you switch from one Bond actor to the next. Um, granted, that'll make him. I think he's 32 right now. Uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson, he's he's 32. So by the time this movie comes out, he'll be he'll be 34, 35. Depend, you know, depending on production and whatnot. So, but something to look forward to, James Bond fans out there. Uh, very excited. I know, I know, it made me excited uh, when I when I saw the news because it's one of my favorite action series, spy thrillers of all time. And uh, I know that there's a lot of James Bond fans out there too. All right, I promised I wouldn't talk about James Bond all episode. All right, <laughs> seems like I'm doing real good already. No, no, no. All right, without further ado, let's jump into some local news. Home of the lowest prices in all things outdoors since 1975, Black Sheep Sporting Goods is your one-stop shop for your camping, fishing, hunting, and clothing needs. Open Monday through Saturday from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. and Sundays from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., check out Black Sheep's large selection of outdoor gear inside the Silver Lake Mall. The weather is getting cold and that means it's time for ice fishing. Ice fishing tip-ups are back in stock, along with all your other ice fishing necessities. Check out the Winter World Showroom for the best winter coats, hats, gloves, snow boots, snow pants, snowshoes, sleds, and much more. Black Sheep Sporting Goods can be reached by phone at 1-208-667-7831. Be sure to also check them out at their website at www.blacksheepsportinggoods.com. Black Sheep Sporting Goods award-winning selection and customer service since 1975. All right, folks, jumping into some Coeur d'Alene Post Falls Press headlines, starting out with Saturday, December 31st. Headline, we kind of alluded to this in the last episode, Moscow murder suspect arrested. This is by Kay Thornbrew. Police arrested a Washington State University graduate student earlier Friday in connection with the stabbing deaths of four University of Idaho students. Brian Koberger, 28, of Pullman, Washington, was arrested in Albrightsville, Pennsylvania, and charged with four counts of first-degree murder. He is also charged with felony burglary due to allegedly breaking into the students' home, quote, with the intent to commit the crime of murder. Koberger, who studied criminal justice and criminology at WSU, is being held without bond in Pennsylvania and will also be held without bond when he returns to Idaho. He appeared before a Pennsylvania judge Friday and has been appointed a public defender. The Affidavit of Prosible Cause, which is a summary of the evidence and circumstances leading to arrest, will remain sealed until Koberger has returns, uh, returns to Lataw County in Idaho. An extradition hearing is scheduled for Tuesday. Uh, that is actually going, and that actually happened not too long before this recording, and uh, it sounds like he has waived his right for extradition, so he'll be coming back to Idaho in a more expedient fashion. Koberger allegedly murdered four students, Kaylee Gonsalves, Madison Mogan, and Zaina Kernodal, and Ethan Chapin in a re- rental home near the U of University of Idaho campus in the early morning hours of November 13th. Gonsalves, Mogan, and Kernodal were from Kootenai County and graduated from local schools, while Chapin was from Conway, Washington. The four were close friends. The three young women lived together in the rental home with the two other roommates. Kernodal and Chapin were dating. He was visiting the house on the night of the murders. 
Moscow Police Chief James Fry said in a news conference Friday that law enforcement has received more than 19,000 tips and conducted more than 300 interviews. In early December, after weeks of little visible progress, police asked the public for help finding the occupant of a white Hyundai Elantra spotted near the murder scene. More tips poured in, and Fry confirmed Friday that police have located, quote, an Elantra, though he did not disclose where or if it belongs to Koberger. Investigators have yet to recover the murder weapon, authorities said. Quote, the work is not done, Fry said. This has just started. Many details remain unknown at this stage, including whether Koberger knew the victims or returned to the area after November 13th, but Fry said he believes the community is safe after Koberger's arrest. Quote, we have an individual in custody who committed these horrible crimes, he said. In a statement issued Friday, Ethan Chapin's family expressed relief after the arrest and gratitude to the law enforcement agencies who investigated the murders. University of Idaho President Scott Green thanked police during Friday's news conference, as well as state-level leaders who provided resources to help investigate the case and secure the campus. He also acknowledged the global interest generated by the case and the outpouring of support received by both the University of Idaho community and the wider Moscow community. I'm glad they have an arrest in this finally, and sounds like just it, it doesn't bring anybody back, but it sounds like justice might be served here. Moving on, eagle count still high. This is by Bill Bewley. By late December, the number of bald eagles hanging out around Lake Coeur d'Alene usually begins to dwindle. Not, y- not this year. The Bureau of Land Management's eagle count around Wolf Lodge Bay on December 28th was 227, with 149 adults, 33 juveniles, and 47 unknown age due to being in flight. That's the highest in several years. Last year, December 28th, BLM counted 10 eagles around the same area. The 2020-2021 count December 16th with 46, and the December 29th, 2019-2020 count was just 22. The last time the late December count was higher than this year's tally was in 2018-2019 when it reached 227 on December 21st. Quote, the number of eagles uh, eagles fluctuates based on the number of dead and dying kokanee, according to BLM. By the first week in January, the number of spawning salmon declines and most of the eagles have dispersed. Only a few eagles remain in the area through portions of January and February, as most have departed from more southerly destinations along their migration routes before returning to their traditional nesting sites. The kokanee are still spawning in Lake Coeur d'Alene, so the eagles are still soaring in North Idaho. Photographers have enjoyed a solid season of capturing eagles and appreciate that they haven't, haven't all moved on just yet. Quote, Still have eagles hanging around and lots of people hanging out today looking at them, wrote Stephen Peake on Thursday. The Bureau of Land Management began counting bald eagles around Wolf Lodge in 1974. It reported a high of 383 eagles December 20th, 2017. On November 29th, 2018, the count reached 343, while December 2nd, 2019, the count totaled 259 eagles. Man, I that would be a very tedious job. It'd be cool to see eagles all day. But uh, like, how do you? Uh, okay, I'm not not even gonna guess. Not even gonna guess how that. I I just feel like that would frustrate the hell out of me. I would sit there and count. I'm like, oh, oh hell, did I count that one already? Is that the same eagle? Damn it! And I'd start over, like a no- like any normal person. But I'm I'm sure that BLM has a system. They, they I'm sure they're the professionals that I'll leave it to the professionals. Moving on, resident appeals condo projects approval. This is by Bill Bealing. A Coeur resident is appealing the City Design Reviews Commission's unanimous approval earlier this year of a four-story, 34-unit condominium with two five-unit townhouses between 1st and 2nd Streets on Garden Avenue. The appeal is going before the City Council at its 6 p.m. Tuesday meeting in the library community room, so a few hours from now, 
four or five hours from now. Jacqueline Doyle, who lives near the project site, cited eight reasons for her appeal. They include lack of a quorum at the Design Review Commission meeting on October 27th, misrepresentation of the property lines to the commission, a mistake in the calculation of required parking, the lack of a snow easement, violation of the massing basic guideline for the infill overlay district, and failure to require 4% of outdoor space for the tenants. Quote, the decision is not valid as there were only four members of the committee present, Doyle wrote in a November 2nd email to the press. It clearly states that a quorum for the purpose of rendering a decision shall be five members. They may hold a meeting with four members, but cannot make a decision with only four. This will be appealed. Garden Avenue Lofts and Town Homes is being proposed by 512 North 1st LLC based in Denver. It would have outdoor desks, uh, decks rather, un- underground parking with 42 spaces, 27 one-bedroom units, and seven two-bedroom units. It would be flanked by the duplex units, which will be 40 feet tall, and would have a private garage. And would have private garages rather. The property is a 33,000 square foot vacant lot, overgrown with weeds and brush, and is north of the Roosevelt Inn Bed and Breakfast. The Design Review Commission approved the project on a four to zero vote. A staff report from Tammy Stroud, Associated Planner, and Randy Adams, City Attorney, recommends complete denial of the appeal. Quote, Staff recommends that Council affirm the decision of the DRC in its entirety, the report says. Regarding the alleged lack of a quorum, the report states that the handout on the design review process says that a quorum for the purpose of rendering a a decision shall be five members. Quote, has not been updated to account for a code amendment which occurred on tw- in 2016. Ordinance number 3537 was adopted May 3rd, 2016, and changed the quorum from the DRC from five members to four. Quote, four members of the DRC participated in this matter, the report says. Therefore, the meeting met the current code requirements for a quorum, and the appeal on the issue should be denied. At the October 27th meeting, Doyle and other residents expressed concern about the project's design with large windows, terracotta painted architectural panels, dark bronze painted steel, and sandblasted concrete. Doyle suggested the out-of-state developer be invited to visit and get a feel for the neighborhood. Quote, this development seems to be out of touch with my community and with my neighborhood, she said. Uh, again, need housing, need space, but uh, don't like the prairie disappearing. That's double double edge right there. Moving on, Post Falls man identified after fatal shooting. This is by Kay Thornbrew. Authorities identified the man who police fatally shot Thursday after he allegedly drove a pickup truck into patrol vehicles on purpose. Randy W. Ness, 57, of Post Falls, died from gunshot wounds on Interstate 90. Post Falls police responded around 8.40 a.m. Thursday morning to reports of a driver, later identified as Ness, quote, targeting and ramming parked vehicles and structures in the area of Railroad Avenue in Williams Street. Officers located Ness's vehicle in the 700 block of Spokane Street and initiated a traffic stop. Ness reportedly drove through a parking lot where he rammed a police vehicle, backed up, rammed another police vehicle, and fled the scene with law enforcement in pursuit. On Interstate 90, police said Ness stopped his vehicle and appeared to intentionally back up and over the pursuing Post Falls police vehicle, quote, crushing the roof with two officers still inside the vehicle. Quote, at least one Post Falls police officer fired his duty weapon, Coeur police said in a news release Friday. Po- photos of the scene appeared to show Ness's vehicle, which was riddled with bullet holes on the driver's side, backed up on top of a patrol car. A body could be seen on the ground covered with a tarp near it. Multiple officers sustained minor injuries when the vehicles were rammed, according to the Coeur Police Department. No others were hurt. Police said Ness damaged at least four vehicles, a telephone pole, and at least two structures. 
Westbound 990 was blocked from milepost 5 to milepost 2 for much of Thursday for the investigation, but reopened around 3.30 p.m. The North Idaho Critical Incident Task Force was activated to investigate the event, with Coeur d'Alene Police Department tasked as the lead agency. Idaho State Police and the Kootenai County Sheriff's Office assisted. Oh boy, that's... wonder what his motivations were. But uh, can't, can't be good. Uh, don't need to be running over cop cars with your pickup truck. That's, that's how you end up getting shot, it, uh, it would appear. Moving on, headlines from Sunday, January 1st. Coeur Press putting out their top stories for 2022. I'm not going to go through and read every single, you know, recap of everything, but we're just going to hit on the on the highlights here and talk about them in, in the context of how we've talked about them on North Idaho now, uh, because we've we've definitely hit on all of these here. Um, coming out in number one, the Moscow murders, uh, hitting on those today, uh, just giving those updates. Very sad situation. Uh, that is definitely one of the more recent stories of the year, but uh, definitely, definitely one of, if not the most profound one that we've come out. Number two, coming up, North Idaho College. This uh, kind of just refers to the series and saga of all the stories that the Coeur d'Alene Press has written about the the events going on at North Idaho College. Everything from you know presidents being fired and put on administrative leave to uh, the drama on the board, people resigning, people being brought in, elections, all that kind of stuff, all the drama and stuff that I... I I personally wish wasn't going on at NIC. I wish NIC was much more in a stable position and they weren't having to worry about their accreditation being taken away. But uh, it seems like certain individuals uh, either either don't understand that they are putting that into jeopardy or, uh, or, or maybe that's their goal is to put it in jeopardy. In any case... Um, Definitely, I, w- I would agree with this. NIC's, uh, the coverage on NIC has got to be right up there. Lots of stuff going on with that. Number three, housing market and growth. Uh, boy, I, that's this is definitely right up there too. Um, the, North Idaho has seen unprecedented growth over the last few years, uh, most recently this year as well. And uh, all the stories that have come out from the Coeur d'Alene Press detailing all of that, uh, talking to the Coeur d'Alene Regional Realtors. So, you know, all that, all that stuff, uh, regional housing and growth issues. Uh, boy, it's... It's, 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 I mean, it's day-to-day stuff when people are driving around, whether you see it or not, um, is there, it is there and growth is happening and, uh, you can't really get away from it. Unfortunately, thankfully it seems like housing prices are going down a little bit, but, uh, boy, the growth is still there and, uh, it doesn't seem like it's slowing up too much. Moving on, Kootenai County Assessor. Ah, yes, Mr. Bella Kovacs. Uh, this is an interesting situation where, uh, he didn't do his job, but, um, but but uh, gets to stay anyway. So uh, there is that. Uh, definitely definitely an interesting situation um, when you when you don't do your job. Some most of the time you get you get a strong talking to or you get fired. And uh, this inf- this individual, I mean his his pay was slashed by the commissioners. Um, crazy, just absolutely crazy. Uh, he's still he's still sticking around. Moving on, Patriot Front members arrested during Pride in the park. Uh, I can speak to this one myself. I was there, uh, down there with, uh, my coworker, Kay Thornbrew. We were down there when, uh, the arrests were being made from the U-Haul truck. Uh, boy, that was a very strange situation. I never thought I would see something like that in person in my life. Uh, very, very strange, very crazy incident and, uh, very unfortunate, very unfortunate. Moving on. Kootenai Health to become a nonprofit. Ah, yes, this is definitely uh, one of the big uh, talking points here in the community now. Um, with uh, with Kootenai wanting to turn into a 501c3, uh, definitely, definitely a lot of pros and cons here. Uh, the hospital seems that this is the right decision, but uh, some people not so sure. Moving on, the Kootenai County Republican Central Committee. Ah, yes. 
the KCRCC being at the center of many uh, political debates and issues here in Kootenai County. Um, everything from trying to infiltrate and dismantle the Kootenai Democrats Party um, to, I, I mean, basically sponsoring their own candidates throughout every election here in from library boards to school district representatives um, from North Idaho College, as we talked about earlier. So yes, uh, Kootenai County, all the coverage on the Kootenai County Republican Central Committee, uh, very hot button, very hot button, very much debated. Moving on, labor shortage. Yeah, that kind of ties in with the growth here in North Idaho, uh, also with inflation and all that kind of stuff. But boy, we uh, we certainly hit on it um, mo- for months. We were talking here on North Idaho Now, reading stories about how it was just so hard for employers to find employees. Uh, it seemed like nobody was wanting to go out there and work, even though the labor shortage was going on. Obviously, that had a lot to do with COVID and recovering from that. So um, there's definitely a lot of extenuating factors there. But yeah, labor shortage, 100%, definitely needs to be in this list. Coming in at number nine, ARPA funds. Yeah, yeah. You could, um, of all the things on here that had the most consistent coverage throughout the four papers that we read uh, stories from on this show, I, boy, I got to say ARPA funds has got to be right up there. It didn't seem like there wasn't one edition from the four, at least one episode a day, or from every episode, we were reading, we, we were reading at least one headline from one of the four papers regarding ARPA funds, whether they were arguing about it, you know, even accepting them or where they were going to be spent or or just an announcement that they were going to be spent on, you know, X, X item or X uh, thing. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, makes sense that that's that's in this list. Uh, finally, finally, at the bottom here, Hayden Law Enforcement Levy. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this. This was something that had been a contentious thing for a little bit until it came out that it seemed like everybody in Hayden realized that uh, they weren't they weren't paying as much as they thought they were in taxes and whatnot and uh, finally got the got the money they passed that and uh, got got the money they needed for more law enforcement from the Kootenai County Sheriff's office so yeah absolutely i i can see that that makes it up there all right moving on monday january 2nd headline it's a girl this is by bill Bealey. <laughs> Emily Truscott was a was due to give birth to her second child on December 28th. The baby, like many, was late. So when she began having contractions on New Year's Eve at their St. Mary's home, husband Tyson Truscott didn't hesitate to help his wife to their car and begin the 55-mile drive to Kootenai Health. Quote, it was a fast drive, Emily said Sunday afternoon. Quote, I did a little speeding, added a smiling Tyson. They made it, with time to spare. The couple reached the Coeur d'Alene Hospital at about 10 p.m., and at 4.55 a.m. New Year's Day, Emily gave birth to a daughter who weighed 8.1 pounds and measured 19 and 3 fourths inches long. McLean Truscott was sleeping peacefully in Mom's arms Sunday afternoon. She joins a sister, 5-year-old Elliot, who was also born at Kootenai Health. Quote, Our daughter wanted a girl, Emily said. She wanted a sister. For being the first baby of the 2023 born at Kootenai Health, baby True Scott received a gift basket. Ah, oh, well, that's great. I'm not sure if I'm not sure if if the baby will partake in the. Well, it depends on what's in the gift basket, but I'm sure she was happy about it. I'm sure, she was happy about it. Um, awesome. They're, these these stories are super fun. Uh, always talking about the first baby of the year. Moving on, polar plungers play it cool. This is by Bill Bealey. Hey, there's another pun there. Good job, Bill. Good job, Bill. <laughs> Paul Torgi Torgensen has been doing the polar plunge for 40 years and he knows what keeps pulling him back. 
Quote, release the old year and bring in the new year with a good splash from the lake, he said as he warmed up after diving into Lake Coeur d'Alene on New Year's Day. Torgensen and about a thousand men, women, and children charged into the 37-degree water on a cloudy 36-degree day. Most went willingly, but some needed convincing. A few more, a few wore costumes, including a pink bunny outfit from, quote, a Christmas story movie, and a tutu and a banana suit. Most came out screaming, smiling, and sprinting for towels and blankets. It was year number 14 for Tom Spencer, who was having far too much fun with friends as they bumped fists and stayed in the lake for a few minutes after the crowds had retreated to land. Quote, it's freezing as usual, he said. So why do it? Quote, cleanse yourself and get ready for the new year, he said. The crowd was bigger than usual, stretching a few hundred yards along the shoreline, which longtime unofficial organizer Chad Bennett attributed to last year's plunge being on a day when it was about zero degrees. That scared many away. Quote, this is kind of a makeup, he said. People missed out last year because it was too cold. Bennett brought his traditional stuffed polar bear, a sign that read, quote, I can polar bear it. Ah, <laughs> oh, you guys know that North Idaho now loves a good pun. And countdown place cards as he called out, out time to the noon plunge every few minutes. Quote, 15 minutes, he yelled at 1145. Bennett said he's been doing, quote, easy three-minute cold plunges at home and was actually looking forward to hanging out in the lake with friends. He was training for this? That's crazy. Quote, I love it, he said. Roger Schramm of Spokane was wearing a Santa cap and red sunglasses to go along with his real white beard. Schramm said he usually plunges at Priest Lake, but their spot was frozen this year. So here we are, he said. Vance Campbell took the plunge for the second time. It wasn't exactly what he called fun, but when family duty calls, he answers. Quote, it was absolutely freezing, he said. Well, I think that's kind of the point. <laughs> All right, moving on. Racing into 2023. This is by Bill Bealey. For someone who's a cyclist, Josh Thompson is a pretty good runner. The Coeur d'Alene man won the 46th annual Tesh 5K Fun Run on New Year's Day in 19 minutes and 36 seconds. That is impressive. Quote, awesome course. People were helpful. Perfect temperature, Thompson said. The out-and-back course on the North Idaho Centennial Trail started and ended at La Atlas Waterfront Park. The race is a fundraiser for Tesh, which helps people with disabilities develop skills and learn to live in independently. Thompson led a field of about 160 people on a 35-degree cloudy and gray Sunday morning. He said, not really a, he said he's not really a runner, but is taking a break from cycling as he prepares for the upcoming competitive season. Still, Thompson came in hoping to win and did, with no one in sight when he crossed the finish line. Quote, it was great, he said. Austin Shockey of Liberty Lake, who is in the military and is stationed at Fairchild Air Force Base, was second. He enjoyed his time in the Tesh 5K. Quote, I loved it, he said. I love running. Well, in the military, you certainly get a lot of that. Moving on, last thing for Tuesday, January 3rd. Uh, the, the entire front page of the Coeur d'Alene uh, Press was headlines for Post Falls, Coeur d'Alene, Hayden, and Rathdrum. Uh, looking forward to the new year. Accos accomplishments and goals for the new year for the four cities here in Kootenai County. Uh, big cities. I'm not going to go into detail on every single one of those. If you guys are interested in all of those issues and what they're kind of the leaders of the respective towns are looking forward to, I recommend checking out this edition of the Coeur d'Alene Press. That's Tuesday, January 3rd. Uh, since I'm not going to just go into depth and read every single thing from these articles uh i probably what's going to happen i'm just going to guess is that each city is planning on addressing its uh type of monster or creature that terrifies or haunts their specific town so like uh the, the you know post falls uh they are putting together a plan to get rid of the banshee that hangs out in the cave kind of near uh Quimlin park 
Uh, that's that's gonna be a problem. Rathrum, the Rathrum Devil, you know, kind of like New Jersey Devil, but a little more North Idaho rednecky. And uh, up in Hayden, you know, obviously you've got that the Hayden Haunter, you know, uh, that's that's a ghost uh, that just hangs around uh, certain businesses that have closed already. And of course, uh, you've got you know the 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 brother of the Ponderay Paddler in Coeur d'Alene Lake. Uh, that you've got to be dealing with as well. Uh, he's always attacking bo- boats and uh, just just hassling cruise line, uh, the, the cruises from the resort. So uh, yeah, I, I, with with no with no not looking at any stories at all, that is probably what is in all of those stories. Uh, if you, uh, if, if you actually want to know what's in those, I, again, once again, check out the stories in that edition or just go to quarterlanepress.com. Moving north to the Bonner County Daily Bee headlines coming out of Sandpoint. Headline for Saturday, December 31st, Council Approves Lobbying Agreement. This is by Carolyn Lobsinger. Sandpoint City Council approved an agreement with the City of Ketchum for participation in lobbying efforts for Idaho Resort Cities. The 5-0 vote clears the way for a $2,500 payment to the Southern Idaho City for participation in the Idaho Resort Cities Coalition. Among the goals identified by RCC for the upcoming legislative session are protection of current resort cities' local option taxing authority, regulation of short-term rentals, and measures to increase workforce housing. The coalition also hopes to pursue legal legislation on a modest expansion of liquor licenses for city resorts, teaming up with Idaho Transportation Department officials on transit issues. Another key prior, a priority is the exploration of new ways to keep resort cities eligible for local option taxes as they approach the 10,000 population cap. The RCC is comprised of 19 cities in Idaho with significant tourist industries. By banding together, Sandpoint Mayor Shelby Rongstad said the group can more effectively put its concerns and wishes before state officials and legislators. The demands of tourism can place a strain on services, and having the ability to put a local option tax before voters is critical to being able to offset some of those costs, Rongstad said. With the city's population likely to exceed that cap before the next census count, Rongstad said the issue is a pressing one for the city. Because taxing authority is increasingly scrutinized by the Idaho legislator, quote, there's always a threat that can be changed or even eliminated, he added. When the city broached their concern to the Association of Idaho Cities, Rongstad said it felt like the group was avoiding taking action because of the attention the issues draw among many in the legislature. When the city of Sandpoint sought either an extension of the 10,000 population cap for the resort cities or a grandfather clause in order to be able to keep its LOT taxing authority, Rongstad said it felt the city was out there on its own. That speaks, he added, to the general concern and potential fear that many cities in the state have regarding the threat to local option taxing authority in the legislature. With the need for regulation of short-term rentals and workforce housing, Ronstead said the coalition will be an invaluable resource during the legislative session. As both issues continue to garner attention, Rongstad told the council there is a greater potential for the legislator to take action and potentially in ways that could negatively affect the, the impact the city. Liquor license expansion is a key issue for some of the coalition, with Ronstad pointing to drigs and the impact tourism has on the small community. The same is true for being able to work with ITD officials on transportation initiatives important to resort communities, he said. For Sandpoint, the local option tax and being able to remain eligible as it approaches the population cap is the most critical issue that the RCC consultant is being tasked with, Rongstad said. Quote, I think we're one of the two cities that are pushing to t- that 10,000 population threshold. We will pass that threshold undoubtedly with the next census, Rongstad said. 
And that's really going to put our local ta option tax in jeopardy and certainly the ability for us to pass any future local option tax. So it's the, I think it's critical that we mobilize the RCC, if nothing else, to help us get some traction in the legislature to protect our local option taxing authority here. The upcoming Idaho legislative session, which kicks off January 9th, marks the second year for the coalition. While the group got off to a slow start, Rongstad told the council that the group is better organized and gives the city, its fellow, its fellow resort cities, a voice when legislation is being discussed that could significantly impact them. Okay, well, given a voice to the areas that have tourism, uh, I can't see how that's not a bad that's that's a great idea that's awesome especially uh, you know sandpoint uh would you know wallace all those mccall all those towns here in north idaho that uh definitely obviously coeur is a resort town and, and that kind of thing but i'm talking more you know small and quaint kind of stuff wallace comes to mind that kind of thing so yeah totally makes sense all right, moving on. Sunday, June 1st, the year that was. This is the Daily Bees recap of their top stories over the year. Uh, a lot of them here, uh, definitely retreading some of the ones from Coeur d'Alene. So we'll just kind of glance over those as we as we move right along. But we'll definitely dive into the ones uh, for, for the bee. Uh, Moscow Murders coming up at the top of the list. We already talked about that before. Uh, Russell pleads guilty. Bonner County man pled guilty in mid-November to second-degree murder in connection with the slaying of David Milton Flaggett, 70, in September of 2021. This is the gentleman who uh, was was uh, charged initially with cannibalism. Don't eat people, folks. I feel like I feel like that you should need to know. You shouldn't. I shouldn't. I shouldn't have to say that. <laughs> but apparently, needs to be reminded. Don't don't go full Donner party, folks. Don't eat people. Uh, moving on, SC3NIICE joined forces. Instead of building an ice rink at the fairground, Sandpoint Community Center Corporation is pivoting to support efforts by Pond Ray and North Idaho Ice to build a facility at the city's Field of Dreams. Okay, I, we talked about this when the story first came up. Uh, I, I personally don't care where the ice rink goes. I just, I, I'm fully biased on this. I think ice rinks are great for the community. I think the you know, skating, figure skating, curling, hockey, obviously, all of these things are good. And uh, I, I definitely just hope that they finally get it together to the point where there is a functional ice rink up in Sandpoint because I, I think it's I think it's great for people and it's good for a community. Moving on, schools see new leaders. Both the Lake Ponderay and West Bonner County School Districts saw new leaders take over the two county school districts, with Dr. Becky Meyer taking the helm at LPOSD and Jackie Bra uh, Bronham taking over at WBCSD. Yeah, congratulations to those two folks. KLT works to buy Save Sled Hill. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this. With the backing of supporters who helped secure the historic Pine Street Sledding and Skiing Hill, the Kaniksu Land Trust announced in late March that the organization was under contract to purchase the historic Sled Hill in order to allow the community time to fundraise for the eventual purchase of the property. Okay, that's cool. Nothing wrong with that. Gotta save a sled hill, especially if it's historic and the community cares about it. Move down $7.5 million donated for Complex. Yeah, we talked about this as well. The Sandpoint Council accepted a $7.5 million donation in mid-March from Jim Russell and his mother, Virginia Russell, to build a sports center at Traverse Park in memory of his father. Yes, very cool. I'm excited to actually see this when it comes comes to fruition. Housing market and growth. Kind of talked about that before. Uh, while the, the growth has been huge in Kootenai County, it's also been effect. It's it's all of North Idaho and has definitely not uh, Sandpoint and uh, Bonner County, Boundary County as well, to a degree, uh, have not been any sort of an exception. And uh, it's it's been huge, absolutely huge. 
Moving on, Kinderhaven closes as home. Kinderhaven announced in late May that it was shutting down as a group home due to enforcement of the Families First Preservation Services Act passed by Congress in 2018. The act mandated that all group homes for foster youth become a qualified residential treatment program facility. Uh, The facility rebranded as a nonprofit aimed at helping the children of Bonner County, albeit in a different way than had previously done. Oh boy, that's it's not great. It's not good. I hope hope there's a, a replacement coming in the wings. Moving on, boating accident claims four. Yes, wrote about this. this was a sad drinking and driving accident on the on Lake Ponderé, uh, where four individuals were killed as they were recreating on a boat. Uh, in on uh, what was this in June? Yeah, in June. Very sad situation. Uh, be safe when you go out boating, folks. Army Corps and bull trout. Uh, yes, we've written, uh, read, read a few, uh, talked about a few of these stories on the show. Uh, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers advised in late September that it was revoking its permits for the Idaho Clums Mar- Marina and Lakeside housing developments at the mouth of Trestle Creek on Lake Ponderay. The creek counts for more than half the annual bull trout spawning sites in Ponderay Basin, a species protected as threatened under the Endangered Species Act. Yes, I, I'm not surprised if we hear more about this as we continue on. ARPA funds. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to go into that again. We all know about ARPA funds. The government wanted to give them. People didn't know if they wanted it. Most people took it and they spent it. So there you go. New VA center opens in area. A Veterans Affairs Health Center in the community opened, uh, in the community opened, operated by STGI International and Veterans Affairs, located at 130 McGee Road, Suite 101 in Kootenai. The facility offers a full-time physician, advanced registered nurse practitioner, and two full primary care teams, in addition to mental health, telehealth, limited laboratory, and other healthcare services. Very cool facility. Very cool. Glad that they're glad this pop up. Uh, once again, uh, making the list, North Idaho College. Yes. Um, while the main campus is not in Sandpoint, North Idaho College has lots of routes going through North Idaho to their satellite schools and offering programs and dual enrollment and that kind of thing. And uh, Sandpoint, if instability for the main campus is instability for all the campuses, uh, especially the one up in Sandpoint. So, yes, absolutely, totally makes sense. All right. Moving on. Tuesday, January 3rd headline. Ready? Set, jump into 2023. This by Carolyn Lobsinger. The polar bear plunge has always seemed like something fun, but Tekla Lean had never gotten the chance before. This year, she said, was different. She managed to secure the approval of her parents and made it to the city beach and a frozen lake ponderé. As she approached a hole cut in the ice near the park's boat launch, Lean took a moment and then made her plunge. Quote, all my other friends did it, and everybody was watching, so it kind of seemed fun, Lean said. While she slipped a bit on entry, Lean said jumping into the lake's freezing water was what she hoped for. Quote, it was scary. It was also kind of hurt, but it was worth it, she added. The Bonner County youngster was one of just roughly 180 residents of all ages who took Boy Scout Troop 111 up on its invitation to come jump into the lake to kick off the new year. Like Lean, Paxton Key was among those who took part in the polar bear plunge for the first time, and like his friend, he plans to do it again. Quote, I've always wanted to do it, he said. I've just been too scared most years, and this year I finally did it because a lot of my friends were going. Key joked that jumping into the lake was, quote, cold, very cold and a little bit traumatizing, before quickly adding that he highly recommends everyone give it a try. People even turned out before 11 a.m. to start, with the troop kicking off the plunge earlier to accommodate them, Troop 111 Scoutmaster Phil Vols said. Quote, people just kept coming and coming and coming, Vols said. We're all pretty shocked. I was like, holy cow, that's a lot of people. In addition to those jumping, Vols estimated that three times that number turned out to watch the fun and cheer on those jumping in the lake. 
It was also pretty cool to see a number of young girls and women take part in the event, Volez said. Quote, this has been going on all day long. All these little girls, Volz said before pausing to watch and as another youngster reached down to pull off her boots and then leap into the hole carved into the ice. There's been a couple little boys who were like, we don't want to. And then these girls are just jumping in. It's awesome. The best way to do the plunge is to jump in, said one scout before quickly heading to a warming tent to defrost. Quote, just can't think about it, he said. Just get in and get out. The more you think about it, the more you psych yourself out. You just get in and then it's fine. While different from the former scouts and friends who have taken part in the polar plunge, Velez said that it, he's excited to see the event become such as, uh, such as much as a community tradition as a troop tradition. He's also excited to see the collaboration with the city growing, which in turn is helping the event grow and become better. He praised city officials for making the permit process a smooth one and for going out of their way to leave the power out so the troop could not could can uh, the power out is like out so they can access it to connect their heaters to its warming tents. Next year, Velez said he'd like to see other Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts take part in the polar, pl polar Bear Plunge, once again throwing out a challenge to those troops. Super cool. Love this tradition that goes on every year. Uh, I probably will not do it anytime soon, but I'm. you know what? More power to the folks that do. Moving on, start the year off yellow. This is by Bo White Eagle. With the arrival of the new year, as well as any number of health and fitness resolutions, a new local nonprofit organization is here to support the community in meeting those goals. A spin-off fa facility to a local massage clinic, the Yellow Room is forging a new path as a nonprofit with community health taking priority. Offering a variety of holistic healing, health, and fitness classes, the Yellow Ribbon uh, classes, Yellow Room uh, board, board President Kristen Longmire said that space is open to everybody. Quote, this is a space for people to come together, first and foremost. Part of our Yellow Room mission is to maintain a space that people know they can come, to a, come into a healthy, non-judgmental environment multiple times a week, Longmire said. The health organization is a part of the new wave of holistic healing and fitness focusing on the mind, body, and spirit, Longmire said. Among the classes offered are those to either get the body moving, such as various yoga classes and dance classes, to those that focus on the mind and spirit, such as meditation and crystal sound, crystal sound baths. I have no idea what crystal sound baths are. Yellow Room social media manager Meredith Siv Sivgilla said that there is something for everybody. Quote, everyone deserves moment, uh, movement, rather, she said. The Yellow Room board consists of seven women, all of whom actually teach the studio. Together, they decided it was time to take the Yellow Ribbon Room behind, uh, beyond being an extension to Sandpoint Medical Massage in August of 2022, and they set out to do just that. After quickly becoming a registered nonprofit by November, Siv Gilla said the pro uh, pr priority now is to offer as much to the community as possible. With such a wide range of classes, some may not know where to start if the Yellow Room is the right place. However, Siv Gilla said there are classes to fit every level and interest. She said, there are, said that even those that might not have complete faith in energy healing, such as Reiki, are still more than welcome. The board members serve and teach with understanding and compassion, Siv Gilla said, adding that she believes that this is the part of what makes a group so special. While the Yellow Room does have set classes that continue all year round, Sevgilla said there are pop-up workshops available such as figure drawing and a swing dance class. Very cool. She said these workshops are consistently rotating and can be attended either for a small flat fee or a donation. To learn more about the Yellow Room and class, go to Yellow Room, that's Y-E-L-L-O-W-R-O-O-M dot O-R-G. 
Watts Appliance has been providing incomparable customer service to the Silver Valley for over 50 years. The family-owned and operated business has a wealth of knowledge regarding appliances and the brands they sell. Whether in need of a new washing machine or have questions about refrigerators, Watts Appliance is ready to help. Visit wattsappliance.com or stop by and visit at 3 North Division Street in Pinehurst. All right, folks, time to round out the show here with Tuesday, January 3rd headlines from the Shoshone News Press. Headline, DUI Task Force, Zero Alcohol-Related Injuries or Fatalities Over Holiday Weekend. I wrote this one up myself. The holidays are always a time for celebration and good times. For some, good times involve partaking in an alcoholic beverage. While this on its own can mostly be harmless, it's when some decide to drink and drive that things can go from bad to worse. That's what Idaho State Police Sergeant Justin Scotch, Shoshone County Sheriff's Patrol Captain Jeff Lee, and the rest of the North Idaho DUI Task Force were looking to prevent this last weekend. Quote, Our main goal is target zero, Scotch said. We want zero fatality crashes or zero impaired driving-related crashes. With our most recent DUI emphasis operation in the books, we talked about this in the last episode, that was carried out over December 30th and 31st, it appears as though their goal was achieved. Highlights of the New Year's operation include 31 DUI charges, two open container charges, three warrant arrests, four felony drug possession charges that included methamphetamine, cocaine, and fentanyl, one charge for introducing contraband into a jail, ooh, three suspended driving charges, one injury to a child, one misdemeanor insurance charge, nine misdemeanor drug and paraphernalia cases, one resisting or obstructing charge, and zero impaired driving-related injuries or fatality crashes. While Scotch and the rest of the task force would like to see zero DUI arrests and everyone get home responsibly, he is incredibly pleased with reaching their target zero goal. Quote, this weekend, members of the North Idaho DUI task force worked diligently to prevent impaired driving-related deaths, he said. It was because of this team effort the task force can report that not a single fatality crash was investigated by our officers. We are pleased to report this. In fact, 31 impaired drivers were still charged for driving under the influence over the two-day operation. Living in a time where rideshare and taxi services are widely available, Scotch says that there are simply isn't an excuse for not doing the right thing. When it comes to the task force itself, the entire ent- the entity is comprised of numerous law enforcement agencies across North Idaho, including the Shoshone County Sheriff's Office. Joining the task force back in August, Lee reported that the Shoshone County Sheriff's Office kept busy as well this weekend. Rolled into the overall task force statistics, SCSO task force numbers from the weekend included 49 traffic stops, 3 DUI charges, 1 warrant arrest, 4 infraction citations, 1 misdemeanor site release, 1 alcohol detox by the o- Osborne Police Department, one written warning for fireworks, and zero impaired driving-related injuries or fatality crashes. Quote, It was a busy weekend for our entire team, Lee said. I was out there this weekend with the patrol team hitting the streets so we could collectively do everything we can to save lives and prevent tragedy. This operation was focused with that as the main goal, and preventing tragedy is what law enforcement everywhere wants to do. We will be continuing our efforts throughout 2023 with a DUI focus as well as drug emphasis. I am just glad. I am just so glad we didn't have any fatal crashes on New Year's. Well, I think everybody is, Lee. That's awesome. When it comes to discovering and ta- taking DUI drivers off the streets, Scott said the point of the DUI task force is to have a proactive approach, but sometimes the DUIs just come to you. Quote, if you're out there working a 10-hour shift, certainly things are going to happen in front of you where you kind of just have that feeling that, okay, this might be an impaired driver. 
This doesn't mean, though, that troopers, deputies, and officers simply sit and wait at local watering holes. Quote, in terms of tactics, tactics, we ISP don't sit on bars, Scotch said in a previous interview. I don't feel it's appropriate for us to use officers just be sitting there. It looks like we're doing a stakeout. We're on moving patrols, and we just keep an eye out for vehicles making traffic violations. In the last year, ISP has recorded 475 DUI cases alone in the five northern counties, most of which coming from Kootenai County. The number does not include DUI incidents from other local agencies either, just ISP. Quote, this team's mission is instrumental in saving and changing lives, and the results from this weekend's operation are not only eye-opening, but a testament to the importance of our efforts, Scotch said. Happy New Year, and we will see you all on Super Bowl Sunday. Hint, hint, folks. Hint, hint. To hear the full interview with Justin Sergeant Scotch, you can check out our last episode here on North Idaho Now. All right, folks, last story for you today, My Brother's Keeper Pantry. This is by Molly Roberts. Last year, Dana and her husband, David DeShazer, saw a need to and got to work on a community food pantry that they named My Brother's Keeper Pantry. This term refers to the biblical story of Cain and Abel from the book of Genesis, is generally understood to meaning being responsible for the other welfare of a brother or sibling, or by extension, other humans in general. The pantry is built out of a large refurbished cabinet where people can come by and either drop off or collect non-perishable food items. Quote, the Silver Valley community has really supported us in doing this. The first three months, we didn't have to buy anything because we kept getting donations. We really appreciate the community supporting us and feeding their neighbors, Dana said. Most community members using the food pantry live in a camper, hotel, or other situation where they don't have a full kitchen, so the couple asked that when donating items to be aware and find more easy-to-prepare microwavable non-perishable meals. Quote, we started stocking the pantry with some of the staples, spaghetti, boxed macaroni and cheese, and fruit cups, but we also began stocking it with non-perishable, non-frozen microwavable dinners. Canned foods like Chef Boyardee, ravioli, or SpaghettiOs is also recommended and a popular option with the young children who come by with their families. With all food that is donated, it's important that the expiration date is checked and the food is not expired. To prevent giving food that is expired, the couple asks that the food items be donated in the orange bin that sits on their step so that they can look over it and check the expiration dates. The pantry is not intended to take the place of a food room, but to give people a private, anonymous way to get their family through the next ne- through their next meal. Dana explained that we that they have also received donations like dishes, pots, pans, and silverware, which are appreciated but not needed. The Deschasers would like the Silver Valley community to know if that some, if that if someone lives in Osborne or Wallace and is in need of food, call them at eight one seven seven nine three six five eight four. My Brother's Keeper Pantry is located at the beginning of French Gulch Road in Kingston and is open to anyone in need 24 hours a day. Once again, we'd like to thank Hecla Mining Company for sponsoring this episode. To learn more about Hecla Mining Company, please visit HeclaMining.com. All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening in. We really appreciate it. Hope you guys liked the episode today. Hope you guys are more informed. Hope you guys had some laughs along the way. If you're interested in the stories we talked about today or the ones we did not, check us out at www.quarterlanepress.com, showshownewspress.com, bonnercountydailyb.com, or thebonnersferryherald.com. And once again, I know it might be annoying, but I'm telling you, please subscribe or like or follow us on whatever podcatcher or music app you listen in on. We are on a whole bunch of them, a whole bunch of them. Just find us on there, hit the subscribe button. You'll get every episode as soon as it comes out. All right, everybody. Thanks again for listening in. We appreciate it. We'll see you on Friday.